Welcome to the Indian Silicon Valley podcast. I'm your host Jibraj and on this podcast I speak with founders, investors and domain experts from the Indian Valley trying to understand the art of building a legendary company. In this episode I speak with Chirag Taneja, co-founder and CEO of GoQuick. GoQuick is India's leading e-commerce enablement company building with the mission of providing an Amazon-like experience for non-Amazon merchants in the country. One of the fastest growing companies in the ecosystem, GoQuick is truly disrupting the market. What started off as a solution for the return to order problem that merchants face is now a full-fledged conversion cycle solution company for e-commerce merchants. Finally, GoQuick is a data company as Chirag says, and there is a wide canvas of problems to be solved in order to eventually fulfill the audacious mission. I sat down with Chirag, the CEO of Coquit, to understand more about how they have gotten here. We discuss a bunch of things around what makes Coquit special, from uncovering the e-commerce enablement landscape to understanding how Coquit manages a remote-first culture, how it builds data-first talent and prioritizes culture. This episode is a great deep dive into early-stage building with incredible velocity and innovation. I am sure you will incredibly enjoy this one. But before we get started, here is a quick word about our sponsor. This episode of the Indian Silicon Valley podcast is presented by Stride Ventures, which is one of India's leading venture debt funds, becoming synonymous with innovative startup financing in India. Stride Ventures provides comprehensive solutions going beyond venture debt to cater to distinctive challenges faced by high growth and inherently strong businesses backed by leading institutions. The fund has a portfolio of over 60 plus diversified companies having deployed more than 1500 crore rupees to date. In just over 2 years, Stride Ventures has emerged as the preferred venture debt lender in the Indian ecosystem. To know more about this phenomenal fund, visit strideventures.in. That is spelled as S T R I D E V E N T U R E S . I N. And with that, let's dive in. to the 106th episode of the Indian Silicon Valley podcast with Chirag of GoQuick. Thank you so much Chirag for joining me. Incredibly delighted to be hosting you today. Thanks Chiraj. Pleasure is all mine. Look forward to having a freewheeling insightful conversation with you. Thank you so much Chirag and at the onset I must acknowledge that what gopik is solving for is very unique and especially the mission statement of uh, providing an amazon like experience to non amazon merchants is a powerful one uh, before we dive deeper into how you make that happen i would love to understand from you as to the space that you're targeting right because in india we've seen that the e-commerce wave was of course led by flipkart and since then we've seen a surge of new age brands come up and with covid this surge has of course expanded and your experience with bombay shaving company must have helped so if you can maybe help us decode the so called e-commerce enablement space i think that would be a great conversation starter cool i think a very pertinent question to begin our chat and uh, at least let me give you uh, my two cents on how i look at the space and uh, you know i have been in this for almost now 7 um, 8 years and i've been closely watching this space e-commerce in india you know if you look at the journey 2014 we were at close to 6 7 million dollars now 21 at least the figures say we've crossed 60 so which is what some 10 12x uh, growth is what we've done and uh, it is if you look at it that way and then if you look at the projections which says that in 6 7 years we will get 350 billion you will suddenly realize that it's not something massive which you have to do from here and uh, you know first first millions are very tough first billion is very tough so that way we have put down all the difficult uh, milestones past us uh, right from discovery what kind of business models will work etc etc so that's one uh, thing at least which i am very very positive about i have a clear set of at least i can visualize 25 mamars in our country right so i have a clear thesis there that india will have 25 mamars so that's there and uh, you know if you start to break that 350 billion or 60 billion into different pieces uh, what has changed is i think uh, while largely the projections have remained same over the years uh, of course some acceleration by uh, covid but what has changed is the constituent of this 
so if you go back to 2019 uh, i can clearly tell you that there was uh, you know two camps one was uh, and that the first camp of yes was very very small who used to say that india will have d2c largely because uh, china doesn't have a lot of d2c e-commerce so uh, to now i think we clearly uh, know that d2c is working in india and uh, or at least let me put it this way digital first brands will have a lot of play in india that that's a uh, i think a secular play which is happening the way at least now i see this is that the large horizontal marketplaces will of course are in the dominant position they will consolidate their market share etc and you will have vertical marketplaces opportunities continue to emerge like what nike mintra have seen we'll continue to see and as user goes towards spends continues to spend more time on social conversation those are two areas where we will see e-commerce shifting and then of course there is direct to consumer brands wherein brands would want and you know the way at least i look at it, this this is very very obvious uh, you look at organized retail first brands are typically you get it on at least from i am telling you from a, uh, let's say uh, the organized retailer point of view you will get first brand because those brands will get you traffic so you'll get you will get gillette because gillette gets you traffic once a user is inside then you can send cross sell a lot of other things hence you will try and uh, increase your margins on some of those other products and when those margins become very very high then brands start to move ahead and uh, which leads to in offline world leads to exclusive ebos which is exclusive branded outlets or some of those things which is the parallel d2c e-commerce world so as amazon flipkart have increased their margins as they consolidate their positions you will see that brands not only because of consumer is now more open to shopping outside as well but also there is a good economic push also so that's that's how i look at it got it i think that's uh, very interesting to know also because i think you've thought out this space really well and in fact an ancillary part to that is i think if i'm not wrong in going to what the problem that coquick solves for right it's targeting the conversion cycle of what merchants face as a difficulty right you started with the rto problem uh, and while that seemed to be a very natural intrinsic problem for brands i would love to know the initial gtm strategy right in one of your past interviews you mentioned that the product had natural pmf which is why you could focus on gtm if you can maybe talk us through some of those early phases of building go quick right like what was the insight like uh, how receptive were brands to adopt a solution like this and since they were receptive how did you just push the boundaries of conversion cycles and getting more brands on board i think that will cover up a really interesting journey to okay how to get something like this started and also consolidate on top of natural bmf got it interesting and i'll start with i have multiple facet answer to this so let me you know start with when we started the company at least um, my past learnings were that you know you should not have targets or a vision which are uh, you know achievable otherwise it's a self fulfilling prophecy you set a lower target and then of course you'll achieve and then you'll say oh wow so uh, at least one big push which i had from my fellow earlier co-founders mentors etc was so let's aim big i think india is at the right time hence you know i said that okay let's solve for shopping experience uh, let's be in the business of democratizing shopping experience and when we went deeper into it there is a interesting you know story here wherein we were thinking about what name to give and you know some of the vcs know that they passed one company but both companies were same i'll i'll tell you the story so uh, we started to think about will shopping experience be about trust or will shopping experience be about convenience fastness quickness so hence there were two names one was safecart the other one was go quick so it's a difficult one to answer in fact i just came out of our smallish offsite and uh, we had an interesting discussion on this again and so one is a, i think somebody put it nicely uh, that one is a satisfier other other one is an optimizer so which one is a satisfying condition and which one is do you optimize i think when we went out to consumers we realized that trust will is a satisfier which you will need otherwise you know you can't even if you have convenience but you don't have trust that doesn't matter the reverse is true so hence you know uh, in spite of our if you look at if you go back to 2019 and our first first pitch deck said safecart 
but then we changed everything to go quick in fact we still own those domains so uh, that's how it went and that's how we have uh, you know we decided on the brand name and to uh, i think the question which you had was on the convert better theme so uh, the way at least i look at this is that e-commerce has five buckets right which starts with the discovery selection conversion retention and there is fulfillment in my view if you have to build out an enablement company the journey starts from in the reverse order uh, so uh, that's why you see a lot of shipping aggregation companies in the fulfillment space and now as e-commerce evolves in the country you will see that the enablement space will move ahead in the journey uh, having said that moving ahead in the journey of course as a every every stage i would say as a different dna or at least the pre purchase purchase funnels are very very different post purchase fulfillments are very different dna companies so uh, you know while we have started with today with and you know uh, let me break it this way mathematically that we our endeavor is that we want to improve internet gmb in gmb of our merchants now if you break that gmb what is that gmb gmb is transaction into conversion rate and you can further break down that that transactions uh, transactions is uh, average order value into quantity right and conversion rate is number of sessions into this thing conversion rate so we decided that okay while we will overall as a theme we will have to solve for multiple things today we look after only that anything which is on the website or on the storefront now we need to help in terms of converting that we have constrained ourselves at least for you know some time because we figured out that there are a lot of problems in fact i would say there are still a lot of problems to be solved in all spaces uh, because good part about technology is that it keeps evolving so you will have a newer thing coming in and uh, it will give you an opportunity and now if that opportunity is sizable enough or is that a business worthy opportunity that's for us to calibrate but i realize that in india conversion is a big theme and there are problems which merchant independently can't solve hence we started with conversion as a theme and it was a well thought out decision that you know this these are the problem statement which we'll go after and solve for and they are also you know coming to now to specific the gtm or the uh, our first product we realize that india is a heavy cash on delivery market while whole world has moved on digitization in a very very different way but i think uh, this is also i am realizing that this is also or at least we hear a lot of digitization studies because all the you know large behemoths wanted to be that way but otherwise if you truly go down to the uh, grassroots levels of what is happening in, in a lot of countries i for example know a lot of countries where cash on delivery is very high just because i am in that business just to give you example middle east is 75% cash on delivery france germany are uh, heavy on cash on delivery so in spite of being europe so uh, you will find money many such countries which are there so what we we uh, saw was that cash on delivery is a huge segment uh, which has this underlying fraud abuse problem which we thought that okay and it's a classic network effect problem so we went with that and uh, so it has some uh, at least our initial offerings had a good product led growth gtm i would say it's not one of those gtms wherein you know uh, you you have to go out and acquire merchants it was it's a and also it's a burning pain point it's not a vitamin kind of a pain point so that's one differentiator also which is required i can go on on this that you know sales side or growth led gtms are always great than optimization led gtms so anyone who looks after um, the gtm strategy i think it's it's a little underrated at least i would say in our country i don't know about silicon valley as such maybe you can comment more but uh, my realization is that from a business point of view we figure out pnl we figure out cash cash flow all of that but uh, we spend a lot lot less time on gtm so i think in some some podcast somebody had asked me that what's one advice i would i don't know if advice i'm qualified to give an advice but i would say that don't ignore gtm so it's a underrated one yeah absolutely i think uh, kabir of danzo had mentioned once on the podcast that first time founders focus on product second time founders focus on distribution uh, so i think that summarized uh, a lot of what you mentioned at the last but i think uh, 
again, super interesting as to how you targeted the problem. A very quick deep dive, Chirag. Uh, it's interesting how you mentioned that you started off with a very specific pain point, right? And which was, uh, as people say, is it like a painkiller or is it actually, uh, you know, a pain point? Can you talk to us about what it means to maybe be focused at the start? and then expand from there. Can you talk to us about how you continue to, you know, have the eye on the ball and focus maybe on one of the starting RTO, maybe uh, solving, chasing the RTO problem and then build from that conversion cycle? I think the tendency to go wide versus go deep is probably some lack of conviction. I think everyone is looking for that 500 feet depth and a 5 feet crack. I would put it that way. But of course, uh, the challenge I think where it comes is that India being India, uh, TAM becomes an issue. So that's when you have to start spreading and figuring out that, okay, what else do I do so that I continue the growth charter? The good part about looking at the vitamin versus painkiller solves is that painkiller solves if are widespread, then you don't need to do anything else. You just figure out that part. And, uh, you know, uh, you, you are solved for at least the first stage. And I think the way we look at the, while we have, we have been focused on uh, the first cash on delivery part, the other thing which we have focused is uh, very highly is that we listen very closely to our friends. So I would say that whatever products we have made today, largely have been merchant input, uh, wherein we have uh, paid close attention to it. Although there is a fine line there also that, you know, when you run a product company, if you start building everything, then it becomes services. So how do you calibrate that to ensure that uh, you're building some one feature, one product, which has wide acceptability or applicability. So that's where the trick of the trade is. You will find, and in fact, today I can say we are at that stage where we are flooded with requests and we're not able to do it. Right. We are not able to do it. Uh, that's that's one of my sleepless night things. Uh, good problems to have that, I suppose. But I think that breaks it down really well. I think the TAM is the more important question to answer, which is why sometimes death can feel uh, scary. But I, I think I love that analogy. Uh, going forward, I think the other interesting aspect of how you describe GoQuick is it being a data company. And very often that I've observed what you mentioned is that you're trying to also, of course, build a lot of data first talent in the company, right? Uh, talk to us about what the broad mindset behind that is, while of course, we can make the debate that uh, everything you'll have eventually all of the shopping data on top of which you can build something. Uh, but would love to know from your lens as to A, what is the cognizance at the org level about this? And B, how does the talent to fulfill this a broad thesis come into being? That's a very good question. One, at least at the moment, mental model which we started to use, uh, figured out by our product folks is that we are a data in experience out business. So that I think summarizes it really well. We have a flywheel which kicks in and all of that is true, but I think this one explains it nicely. And if you start to look at it that way, and I think uh, the realization that data is powerful is only true when you have a large amount of data. And also there is data quality, right? Both are important. In early stages, you can think about, it's, it's probably a second order effect thing. It's not something which you think about day one. You know that once it starts to kick in, then data can give you a lot more things, which will enable you to build more products. So uh, that's why, you know, I started with one co-founder who was focused data science, Ankush. And uh, day one, he had that expertise and then he built out his own team. And now, in fact, we are ramping up. If you look at our orb today, um, our head of product, Kunal, who is uh, from Amazon, but he has done a lot of data science products. In fact, he has a deep understanding of e-commerce, but he has worked in risk. So he used to be with AXA, BlackRock, some of those companies. So he understands deeply uh, how uh, data science related products are made. And our realization is that uh, one of our deep modes, eventual modes is going to be data science. The challenging part is that now data science is also becoming very deep. So, uh, uh, and it's been my learning for me as well that, you know, I used to think, thought, think that data, data science is data science where it ends. But now very recently, we have hired someone senior for apply as applied data scientist. 
right so that's another level uh, and you have only you know some uh, i would say 40 50 folks in in our country who do this kind of stuff and mostly for global companies so uh, but getting such kind of talent and also ensuring that we have stuff ready for them is a challenge as well as a very thought through thing that we believe that it is very powerful and uh, without it you know we will not be able to solve some of these experience problems uh, and why i say so is that if you start to break shopping experience shopping experience cannot be same for everyone that's the deal about shopping experience so if somebody is great they need to be given great experience somebody is bad they need to be given friction in their experience and that's where the beauty of data if you have captured it right if you have instrumented it rightly it starts to come in so that's our you know thought process of why uh, how we are going about it some people like to put it that uh, you know building this shopping behavior is like akin to building a credit score basis shopping behavior i don't i don't know if you have arrived there to be very frank with you but that can be one of the outcomes of let's say as we move toward building out an overall identity of a person got it i think that's phenomenal uh, pretty much because i remember you mentioned that uh, almost 6 million users you've identified which are fraudulent in nature right and that you can eventually block as well i mean the numbers can differ but i think that practically shows the power of data in the business and it's great more importantly to understand the foresight to build and ha- even have a co-founder in that space and then build out the required talent to target the problem head on so i think great use for early stage builders moving forward chirag i would also love to target uh, the fact that uh, gokwick has of course grown multifold since it started which has not been too long ago and, and that means that speed has been an evident moat in the business it could have been because there was of course early pms so you have rapidly iterated on the product and built it out post the pms bit focused on distribution but if you can focus on maybe speed as a moat right and and tell us how speed or maybe velocity is ingrained as a culture trait in the organization i, I think that will be really powerful got it i think you use the right word at the end velocity uh, that's how we we put it and we say that velocity is speed into direction the way uh, at least we divide this is that speed is bias for action and uh, direction is high quality judgment so senior you are in the company you will be responsible for your judgment quality at senior you are you might not be good at bias for action which is okay although it is very difficult for to work with me if somebody is not good at bias for action uh, because i am myself in that domain uh, but junior you are uh, in the system you are supposed to be bias for action so that's how uh, at least we look at it from our point of view and um, i think i'm i'm hearing this from you maybe i'll i'll you also use it somewhere that velocity is a moat in itself and that how can you quickly on distribution and then data starts to flow in and all all i think growth solves for many things in fact i would uh, i i had a podcast with avnish where you know it came out that growth is painful but self healing so uh, i would say that you know once you have figured out that something is working then you should go hard on it put at least whatever it takes to capture the market and that's true in tech product uh, you will see that in technology products what typically happens is depending on the market size you will not have many companies so my way of looking at this is that from a market share point of view if uh, you know there are going to be four companies the market share will be distributed as x x by 2 x by 4 x by 8 so not not the offline uh, so that's how i would put it hence you know if you look at it that way then market share is important so you go after market share hence distribution hence you press on the pedal on the acquisition of all kind of merchants or customers for b2c companies so uh, that's how i would put it and then you work backwards from there that okay what do you want to do what kind of values do you want to bring in the system of course uh, i'm not saying that things don't break we on in the process break a lot of things but then you continuously keep evaluating that okay what is an irreversible decision what is not what is the consequential one and then you keep moving ahead so that's how at least i look at it from that way that's awesome i think um, very evident to maybe like understand that the cognizance of thinking through some of these aspects has been evidently there i love the fact that you know seniors are responsible for direction and um, maybe juniors are responsible more for bias of action so love that analogy and breaks it down really well 
But moving forward, I think uh, the other, again, very interesting aspect about uh, GoQuick is it's a remote first company, right? It's born in the pandemic, uh, which is interesting because, I mean, for a company that's born in the pandemic, you've probably not seen the contra, right? Which is to what is it like to work in physical spaces? But since you've had that as status quo from the beginning and you built it out in a particular way, uh, why don't you help us think through some of the principles that maybe you've applied and maybe also some of the challenges that come alongside this because there are multiple early stage team, teams thinking of, you know, whether or not they should move in. And this is a running debate in the ecosystem and it will be till uh, we really see results. But if you can share your secret sauce with us, <laughs> I think that will help. I, I won't say that I have a, yet a secret sauce with me. Uh, but I'll share at least my two cents on this. And you are right that we started the company during pandemic and hence it's in a way easier for us because whenever we have tried to get people in one room, we have realized that there is they have so much to talk and hence our productivity goes for us. They themselves have said now that calm to up remotely, we come together to only talk. And, uh, you know, maybe uh, we've realized the productivity benefit of being remote. Hence, it come, becomes naturally that people also have now a new level of productivity which they're able to achieve. And once they come offline, they realize that there is too much time in travel which goes off productivity, etc., etc. And with this, you know, they can work from anywhere, right? practically anywhere. I have a lot of folks in the company who work out of mountains, keep traveling, and we never get to know also. They, when they put out a post, then we get to know. Uh, otherwise, you know, everyone is on a go quick background. And then when you ask them that, where, where are you these days? I know some of them who keep traveling. So I, I make it a point that I ask them that, where are you? At least it's good to hear from those folks that sometimes in Goa, sometimes in Manali, sometimes in Northeast. That's one. But I would say that at least my decision was more around that I believe that this is the future of work. So when you're starting starting a company, at least let's embrace future and uh, bring it from there. I think the answer is hybrid in my view. Uh, I would maintain that. Coming daily to office is also overkill, but some amount of interaction physically also is required. Now that answer can, or that frequency can vary depending on the collaboration activity you are required to do. So if you have more collaborative work, like for example, senior senior folks in the company, they are required to meet more often. So we ensure that we at least meet once a month. The entire senior team at least meets once a month. So that's true. Similarly, at least if you look at product org, product is one of those which controls, you know, or at least uh, I would say that exercises a lot of influence without authority, but they are responsible for a lot of these cross-functional uh, requirements. Hence, uh, collaboration is one of the key requirements for them. So they travel to different cities, get techies together. Uh, we borrowed this, uh, you know, some small pizza, two pizza team from Amazon. So all of those together in, in one week, in one room, and then they try to pull it off. So we try and do different things. And I wouldn't say that we still have a playbook. And it has its cons as well. I think one is that uh, you realize that, I don't know if that's true for offline world, I keep asking myself that you suddenly realize that communication is just underrated thing. Uh, how do you over overdo the uh, communication? I feel that at all levels, all levels. And, and I just keep figuring out that should I write everything what I've done during the day and should pe people also do that? How do you ensure that, you know, everyone is informed? That becomes a key thing, right? Uh, like, for example, this uh, framework provided to me by my uh, Amazon seniors, uh, the RACI framework, which is the uh, which is every task has responsibility, accountability, consulted or informed. Now, uh, in a offline world, maybe you don't realize that you need to inform certain other person. Suddenly, in this world, you realize that you've taken a decision and there is one affected party who needs to be informed and is not not part of that. And when it's a last moment, you know, when something is to be go live, then you realize that okay. Uh, this party is not informed, hence there has been. Now, in a fast-growing organization, that's that. those are the kind of challenges. At least communication, I would say, is the biggest one. The challenge being, I can't interact with 120 people now. So how do I ensure that everyone is on the same page? And that's that's my job. 
culture alignment is my job i would say that it was easier in 20 people but uh, i'm i'm yet to figure out the 120 people uh, remote playbook still i would say wip it's a hard one to crack in my view um, i would say we are we are we still have the pros in favor of us hence uh, we'll continue to push the pedal and solve for cons and i know for example the communication is one of the big ones to solve for we solve for communication and uh, i think when and i have seen this that whenever i have interacted with people i've given them both sides of the view they've realized that yeah, yeah this is perfect just that they don't get the other side view and then they realize oh wow, this this why why did we take that decision so that's that's a tough one if you are remote i think it's a perfect one if you're starting uh, early stage i think the energy uh, i would say you know i have myself spent sleepless nights in the early days i am now refrained from doing those those today by my product team uh, but otherwise uh, i think that uh, google meet energy is also infectious i keep hearing that you know how do you get that energy etc etc i think once uh, the founding team sits there uh, the initial 15 20 people are there on that google meet i think for sleepless uh, countless hours you suddenly realize that you know the energy is infectious even if you are in different parts of the country absolutely i think uh, very very fascinating to hear how this has evolved in the thought process and the cognizance that this is a work in progress but i want to quickly double click on this chirang right i mean a lot of things that you mentioned maybe documentation as a culture maybe that as a ritual and also the cognizance that culture is an important trait that is to be solved for uh if you can maybe elaborate on that right maybe help us with a couple of examples that helps because i'm guessing that with every other problem that exists uh with you know the good problem of philosophy being on your side but also things breaking uh with also hiring constantly it is easy to not have culture as a top of recall but if you can maybe focus on some smaller aspects uh, even without the remote aspect right uh, i think that will be really helpful to just grasp from you as to how as a founder and ceo have you been able to maintain culture as top of recall and what are some deliberate initiatives being taken uh, to ensure that it um, remains a constant pillar in the org i would uh, i would put it this way that at least i knew that if you want to build out a large company then you can't do it everything on your own right so get people who can who are specialists and keep increasing the bar with every hire you know day one started with vivek who is a great tech co-founder has built out a company in the past so and ankush so you know while we started with uh, with uh, a lot of conviction day one now we have a lot of folks who are specialists in their own fields and uh, have started to scale the company what becomes interesting is that i think uh, with a lot of specialists is that they know their subject really well what is different is that the context of this company is very different if you're coming from amazon you're coming from let's say a series d company to here the context is very different so it's our job to explain to them that context that while you know all the tools but the car is still not on an express way uh is still on a highway or you know a hinterland somewhere right so that context uh and telling them that is an important piece and it's our responsibility right if we don't get that context i think uh, it's it's difficult for people to flourish to so that i would put it and then you know i i can go on on this one uh, for example on documentation right uh, somebody uh, comes from amazon and they have a great documentation culture i am a big fan now uh, you know on one side your speed as a moat velocity as a moat and then you want people to do documentation how do you balance that because if you if they write great document it is going to take time then you get into what is the purpose of writing a document is it you know and then you then you get the context right that in amazon or in some of these large companies you have so many stakeholders where you have to align people hence writing a great document solves for uh, a lot of these things right people don't come back every time with more same questions uh you have all definitions etc are there so it works beautifully for them and they also solve for people risk they solve for people risk that okay if this guy goes moves on in his life then uh, we are going to be in soup hence you know it needs to be well documented now you marry that to a context a company like ours which is 18 month old and you say that okay what all do we want to solve today 
and then you figure out a format which works for yourself so that's how i would put it and uh, in fact day one my answer was that if you take 3 months in amazon to write a document here you get 3 3 hours so figure out what what needs to be there in 3 hour what is the most meatiest thing and then uh, we are okay with living some of those risks we can't solve all risks at one go same case i think uh, you know when you are on a high growth trajectory so velocity as you said speed is an important thing hence failing fast is an important thing now uh, calibration of that at least that's been a realization for me also that in some scaled up products where you've seen scalable pnf how do you ensure that there probably the definition of fail fast changes right you can't tinker with those products because it's going to lead to a loss if the product goes down so then a zero to one product has a different definition of fail fast and this this one has a different definition i am still not clear that do they require different skill sets also that's that's one work in progress for me where i'm figuring out that are these two different teams two different skill sets two different personas i i would put myself in the zero to one bucket less than in the one uh, to ten scalable pm bucket because i like i i like to break things hence i am banned in some of the meetings that you can't come in and just change anything so yeah awesome lovely to hear that i think chirag i i love the analogy and it breaks down really well and i mean taking inspiration from frameworks but suiting it to the context that is required for a particular company is my cue from there uh, i have one last question on the company building aspect post which we go to conclude the things uh, but uh, i mean to mention that of course you know we are living through this uh, cycle where everybody is worried concerned uh, and gokrik is a company which has gone through subsequent funding rounds in a small amount of time right i would love to know how when the velocity of capital infusion is high how do you plan and curate your partnerships which are typically for a, a large amount of time how do you go about some of the strategic decisions which are irreversible in nature if you can maybe talk about that from a larger funding landscape uh, thought process just from experience i think that'll make from an interesting perspective i would say 2021 was a different year you know and i have been in capital markets for almost now two decades 15 years at least so i have seen journeys wherein uh, it's a classic display of human emotion last year uh, we were at that stage where all companies were at least being sort of as unicorns uh or uh, you know too big to fail can't go wrong and this year we are getting into a phase where it's all pessimism i would say both answers are the answer clear answer for a company point of view is somewhere in the middle uh, that's how at least i would calibrate and in fact i would say that this is the these are the times right times to build a company if you go back and see google was built in the after the internet crash in 2002 i have seen companies come out uh, you know or capitalize on these opportunities one of my at least on the d2c space i have been saying and visualizing this also is that you will see companies which are large will continue to become larger now this is the moment when they will increase their market share now you know if if we sit today there is very less competition to worry about not only for us uh, but for uh, a lot of other spaces that you will see that uh people who have some distribution will want to capitalize on those distribution going back i think i would say that one mantra at least if you are building a and it should be very clear that are you building a vc fundable business or are you building a bootstrap i think that's a uh, in my view a irreversible decision because if you're building a vc fundable business then those are built out in certain ways you have to lose you know if you are anxious about certain things in bootstrap you have to ignore some of those things when you're building out a vc fundable business it will bleed for some time while you figure out pmfs scalability and then you move to profitability and getting those metrics right so uh, in my view i think setting yourself for high growth solves for a lot of these things and then figuring out you know the right team right product market fits ensuring that uh, growth doesn't precede value right if you scale before value then also it becomes dangerous but there also i would say there is context that there are certain products uh, which will require a large amount of network to come in before they start delivering real value so i would say that there is no one prescription as such 
but uh, i would put it that think of vc relationships as also they they also want to do the deal just that understand it from their point of view that what do they want and uh, to simply put it can you deliver on 34x growth every uh, 12 18 months if that's the uh, true then i think uh, it's just a matter of time I would put it in uh, in the other way that it is our responsibility to give those kind of returns, and if we are confident, then you will see that people invariably buy it. Instead of putting it the other way that raise money and then figure out, I think that's a tricky one, uh, wherein uh, you should not die of uh, indigestion. That's uh, that capital can lead. That I think my friend Chantu has taught me. Awesome. I think uh, the caveat there is very very helpful, and the awareness of knowing what are you building in foresight and then acting on top of it. I think reversing the responsibility bit is very very interesting. Ah, uh, lovely. I think this has been a great great segment, and I think we've covered a bunch of aspects that decode how you built a uh, Gokwek, which is of course a very very one of the success stories of the ecosystem, and we are all cheering for. Much of it in the future, uh, but as we conclude the episode, uh, Chirag, I would love to focus on a couple of personal aspects, right? Uh, and in the past episodes, of course, you've been famous for these one-liners. I want to understand something about developing these frameworks, right? Because as a founder, I think uh, there's so much to be done, especially as a founder CEO. There's a bunch of responsibilities that you have, including let's say team building, administration, overhead, and a bunch of other things, right? What I want to understand is how do you ensure or your upskilling process right uh, what is the correct balance of absorbing new information synthesizing it and also building on top of it right how do you stay ahead of the curve when the company is expanding at a speed which is of course greater than an individual to catch out for and i'm i'm guessing you are also building a company of this size and stature for the first time so if you can break down your personal process of maybe absorbing synthesizing and then building on top of that or evolving thoughts on top of that i think that will be very very helpful great hmm, that's an interesting one i would say i think you touched upon it that one is and we live in a today in a information overload scenario now you got to decide that what information is valuable what is not and then subscribe to only them i'll i'll only about internet so for example what you know blogs or news pieces do you want to read for example i don't read newspapers never i you know for last 5 7 years they've never come to my house since since i've run a media business so i know <laughs> how it works so so one is on that piece that you know subscribe to some of these uh, well thought out even if paid subscriptions so for example ben thompson who writes who writes uh great great stuff on tech and uh, strategy right which is very difficult to find so he's there shane parish is there in india also now i know a lot of them those are at least uh, good ones uh, which i look up to sajit pai of bloom ventures also at least uh, i like to keep my list filtered in terms of what do i read and then the second pass to that is that uh, have a good network of fellow co-founders or senior people another thing which i have recently started to do is that while uh, we we interact by design we interact with a lot of co-founders or senior people who are in the startup community how do you we learn from people who built out legacy businesses so those interactions are also useful because they give you a very different perspective of how you know you can build out sustainable businesses while we know some playbook of how do you build out a let's say a tech high growth kind of a business they have a very different world view which i think helps as companies mature and then uh, you know i think it's about more information seeping and then reflecting on it similar it comes to books that what kind of books do you read uh, i am i am a avid reader uh, except for the last couple of months uh, where it has been very very crazy but uh, i am at least Read fifty, sixty books a year, that kind of a guy. And uh, in that also, I I look at judgment. That if I don't like a book in like first ten pages, I just keep it. Maybe I am I have not matured enough to read that book, so then I'll pick it up later. And if it comes highly recommended from someone, then I'll definitely pick it up. So there are also some recommendation cycle works. And then uh, of course you reflect on you know deeply on why something happening. 
what is gone wrong discuss with and i i do discussions with whatsapp revan a lot of these guys that i'm going through this pain how do you solve it they do the same so it continues and then when you figure out something then then i have to tell it to everyone then it becomes and okay how do you frame it so that i also remember it's for me more than you know telling it to that how do i remember myself that uh, this i figured out and i can apply this to multiple cases so that's how at least it's been my journey and uh, learning is what excites me so i think startups are one of those things uh, which enable you to continue to be on that learning journey and i continue to be on that absolutely i think that's brilliant i i love the structure to you know each part of the process in terms of infusion of information filtering it then synthesizing it and then developing frameworks so that you can remember it and the broader team can also awesome love that uh, i think for the second last question chirag uh, i would love to understand that uh, you know when you started gokwik some may say that you have the experienced founder archetype right you built businesses in the past uh, there were things you knew already especially in the space that you were starting out in right there were a lot of correlations to your past lives uh, that you could bring on the table with gokwik uh, what i would love to do is if you can maybe by part and let us know that what are the things that you know played to your advantage because of that experience and maybe some of the things that you had to let go of and some baggage that you had to maybe leave away when you started gokwik right so if you can break it down for us in that aspect because very often the thought is that experienced founders have it easy i uh, would love to know how you had it and what was the journey like especially from a qualitative standpoint mm, okay so i think from a, a functional knowledge point of view i think that's uh, more to do with experienced founders that one is functional knowledge and then uh, second is let's say of building out a company itself from a functional knowledge at least i would say i don't know if it's advantage but at least i can relate to it that i built out a company in media space content community space that was my first company catch up uh, learned a lot in that company 3 years um, massive learnings there and then moved to commerce wherein led uh, bombay shaving company did a lot of online commerce so it became content community commerce in the last 6 years for me completed the journey and i think if i look at gokwik today even my journey before catch up wherein i was at yes bank for 6 years so that also has come in handy wherein we are at the right the intersection of some payments some amount of e-commerce and you will see a lot of these content community thing also helps us a lot when we are building out e-commerce so uh, i think that knowledge aspect helps a lot in uh, having uh, you know what is going to work what is not going to work example being as i was saying that uh, why we started with conversion of course there are problems in different areas also but then i realized that in a country like ours you you're better off building out a gmb led business than a non gmb led business like for example but you're better off in a market which has uh, strong tailwinds right and my my learning big learning from ketchup was don't enter a market which has tailwinds which has headwinds so i i took care of that that you know i will not enter a market because you I, you know howsoever uh, perseverance i might have as a founder i can't fight market that's that was my realization that you know better to pivot change course of directions be open to that so that is there and i think probably one thing which has helped me doing this is that day one realizing that you're going to build out a large company hence you'll not be able to do everything on your own hence you will need people hence day one you know part equity build out a bigger esop pool ensure that everyone creates wealth so i think those kind of decisions have at least helped me day one that you know you don't have to keep keep thinking about those things you have figured out that okay this is the 10 year uh, milestone and uh, for achieving that you will need this uh, what is uh, i'm just thinking about the second part of what you asked that what is which i had to forego i think a lot of, uh, that's true for a still non experienced founders also non uh, at least you have to go let go of a lot of family time but that i think is true for all all startup folks but uh, from a let go point of view at least i'm not able to think anything that which may is maybe maybe i i don't recollect anything 
No worries. I think uh, the first part definitely helps. I mean, this having that clarity and recognition that, okay, people are going to be important. Uh, wealth creation is important and a bunch of the other aspects that you mentioned that definitely helps. Awesome. I, I think I love this entire line of thought. Uh, for the last question, I think uh, ending on a more qualitative side, but, uh, you know, I love reflecting on and understanding more from founders as to what their eventual motivation to build companies is. Uh, so Chirag, if you had to answer and share with us, you know, what is it that keeps you up at night or rather what is it that gets you out of the bed in the morning still every day with the same enthusiasm and gusto to eventually build out Gopik and towards that 10-year dream, I think uh, that would uh, leave us with a great parting thought. Okay. Uh, I think personally for me, if you ask me, learning is the most important thing. Uh, I think curious curiosity to learn, look at problem statements, keep figuring out solutions. And I'm infamous in my circles for this, that, you know, uh, how can we solve this? How can we do this? And uh, then you keep looking at data in different ways. And then understanding the society, I think it'll, it'll eventually boil down to you understand culture of a country. How do humans react to certain things? So those become important. I think uh, learning, I would say, is important. Then uh, if I now then have to think about uh, teams, etc., then I would say making our people successful is probably the next motto. If I have to move beyond personal, then uh, ensuring that those people are successful, especially people who had given us day one, uh, you know, believed in our vision. So I'm very, very personally, at least I I take that responsibility on myself to ensure that they are successful in whatever they want to achieve. So that's there. And then I think over time, I would want to solve uh, at least the low women participation in our country in terms of labor force. So that's one. Uh, I still don't have a solution for it. But uh, at least that's one. If you have to make our country great, I think we, we can't do it without that metric being right. So those are some of the things at least uh, which will continue to at least keep me awake and uh, for the next uh, five, ten years. Wonderful. I think that's lovely to hear, Chirag. Thanks for sharing us, sharing with us that aspect, especially in terms of learning responsibility and the labor force participation of women, increased participation. Lovely. I think that brings us to a wonderful close. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I think personally I have taken back a bunch of views on company building and a lot of interesting frameworks to build on top of. Thank you so much for being on the show. This has been you for a while and I'm glad that we could finally take out some time and record this wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, Yara. Thanks, Yavraj. My pleasure. Awesome. With that, we come to the end of this conversation. Thank you so much for tuning into the episode. I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you're finding value with the podcast, do follow it on the audio streaming platform of your choice, drop in a review and subscribe to our WhatsApp newsletter to get all the updates directly on your inbox. Thanks again. I will see you next week for another episode. Till then, I hope you record. If you never try, you'll never know. Stay tuned and keep building.